to the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening. And joining me in the studio are my good friends in ministry, Lenny Esposito. How are you doing, Lenny? Good morning. Great. And a very special guest, who's also a very good friend of mine, is Finney Premkumar. Hi, Finney. How are you doing? Hi, Harry. How are you? All right. Well, I invited Finney because... He did a lecture on artificial intelligence at Azusa Pacific University a few days ago. And uh, as expected, it was a great talk. And so I asked him to share some of his insights and some of his research tonight. So we're going to be deferring a lot to uh, Finney here. But before we get into that, and I'll get to introduce Finney a little bit uh, later, Let's do some ministry updates. Um, again, I'm, I'm very honored that you guys would share your resources, your time with us here at apologetics.com. I want to start with Lenny. How are you doing, and, and how's the ministry going? Really, really good. A uh, lot of speaking going on this summer, so there's a lot of different uh, places where I'm getting invited to help equip some uh, folks, answer questions. Uh, how to witness, how to understand God in the face of evil, all kinds of different, uh, or and even a, a graduation address I get to. So, it, you know, I encourage young people to continue in their scholastic graduation address. Huh? Yeah, high for, school or a high school or, okay. uh, for the uh, for the California Home Educators Association. Yeah, so there's a big Chia convention that happens in July, and I'm, I'll be addressing the graduates there. So that that'll be a lot of fun too. All right. Thanks for that. How about you, Finney? I know you're president and founder of a ministry called Truth Matters International. Tell us more about it and how, how can we pray for you and just give us an update how things are going. Uh, thank you, Harry. Well, Truth Matters International is really concerned about getting the truth of the content of the Word of God to the culture out there and how can we do it effectively. And uh, so the ministry has been uh, tremendously Uh, blessed by open doors, especially during the summer months here and abroad. Uh, Next week, I'll be going to Australia to speak at a philosophy conference on uh, science and the nature of God. And then after that, I'll be at the University of Toronto speaking at the ASA, the American Scientific Affiliation Annual Conference. And then I'll be doing a lot of training among churches and YWAM groups in India Mm. for two weeks. Wow. And then uh, beyond that, I'll be speaking in a number of churches, retreats, doing some seminars, because the concern is to equip the people in the pew and to make them effective communicators of the gospel. And I love so, it. Yeah. And we share your passion, Finney. Yeah. That's great. Well, I want to—I know, Finney, you're no stranger to our show. You've been here before. Right. But uh, I, I do want to give our listeners a proper introduction of Finney. Because he's someone that you ought to listen to. Uh, But Finney is the founder and president of Truth Matters International, a ministry that is focused on confronting those in the academy with the truth of the gospel and in challenging those in the church to live out the content of the gospel in creative and concrete ways. Undergirded by a strong philosophical and theological approach, this ministry seeks to challenge the dominant ideological voices of our time by presenting the reality of God's eternal word. Finney is a very passionate uh, person um, when it comes to evangelism and has spoken at numerous churches, organizations, conventions, youth conferences, and mission-related events. 
He was also a regular lecturer at Oxford University for seven consecutive years through the invitation of Professor Alistair McGrath. He regularly addresses issues in philosophy, science, technology, ethics, and related topics, and has presented academic lectures slash papers at various universities, including Harvard, MIT, Yale, and UC Berkeley, among others. So welcome to the show, Finney. Um, Tonight, we're going to dive into the fascinating world of artificial intelligence. We're going to embark on an extraordinary journey exploring the cutting-edge developments and transformative impact of AI on our lives. From self-driving cars to virtual assistants, AI is revolutionizing industries and reshaping the way we live, work, and interact with each other. Our experts tonight will help us unravel the mysteries behind machine learning, neural networks, and algorithms that power AI systems. Tonight, we'll discuss some of the ethical considerations, future implications, and engage with leading experts to gain invaluable insights into this rapidly evolving field. So fasten your seatbelts and get ready to unlock the secrets of AI here on the Apologetics.com show. It's time to demystify the magic of artificial intelligence and empower ourselves with knowledge. So gentlemen, let's do this, let's do this. Uh, what is AI? We've heard so much about it. I know we've experienced it. Uh, if you have a smartphone, then you are all over AI. Or, or an Alexa plugged in or... <laughs> you cannot escape AI. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Finney, what is artificial intelligence? Yeah, it really goes back to the 1930s and 40s. You know, AI really became a household name because of the sci-fi movies that really impressed itself upon the minds of the young people at that time. And one such person who was so impressed was Alan Turing. And he came up with the Turing test, which is almost a hypothetical test. And the Turing test basically said if a computer or any system can fool someone into thinking that it was a human agent, then it displayed some sense of intelligence. And so he came up with the Turing test, and then in 1950, he wrote a seminal paper for the journal Mind, in which he asked the question, can machines think? And that was really kind of the start of the AI revolution, or the history of the AI movement. And things just progressed from there on, because in 1955, two very important things happened. John McCarthy, one of the fathers of AI coined the term artificial intelligence. And then the first artificial intelligence program, uh, the theorist program, was initiated. And it really mimicked uh, human problem-solving skills. And then all of this was presented in 1956 at the Dartmouth Conference, where all the fathers of AI gathered. And so AI really, when you talk about artificial intelligence, there are different kinds of it. But what it really is, is Intelligence, first of all, something that is natural to human beings, something that we would call a natural kind that is mimicked in a machine, that is simulated in a machine, and that brings in the artificial part. And so AI is this mimicking or the simulation, not the replication, but the simulation. And we'll get into more of the detail of the difference between both, but the simulation of this natural kind of intelligence that human beings exhibit. It is artificial because it simulates but does not replicate. 
So that's essentially the definition of AI. Okay, that's very good. And also, one of the big uh, differences, or maybe we need to clarify some of the terms here. Uh, from the outset, we have to be careful uh, because I believe all three of us agree that um, we might be conflating agency with this thing called AI. So we're not saying, we're saying that those are two fundamentally different things. No matter what happens now, again, we'll cover this later, but uh, for now, we're keeping AI where it belongs. Yeah. Um, right. Artificial. Okay. Right. Now, I would say it's, it, the, the, the comparable um, analogy is AI is to human cognition as virtual reality is to travel. You're not at an actual place. It's a simulation of a place. And, and right. if you have enough sensors, you might get some tactile feel and difference of that space, but that's not a real space. Mm. I know uh, back then I shared with you gentlemen um, during the break how my first encounter with AI was a little bit, I don't know, concerning or nerve-wracking or I, I felt like my privacy was violated mm. in a fun way because this is before AI was even a thing, you know, uh, in, in popular uh, jargon. But uh, I remember this is pre-COVID. It, it's a Sunday and uh, it was after church and I'm walking toward my car and my phone just pings me, dings, you know. I'm, I'm wondering who's texting me, you know, whatever. But I look, and, and the phone is giving me directions to go home already. It knows somehow. Knows. I put that in air quotes. You don't yeah. see me. but So that's strange, right? Um, and then, like I said, uh, even though companies claim they're not listening to us, uh, I don't know, man. When we scroll through all of those agreement forms, <laughs> I, I admit, I don't read them. I just, or right. I just trust it. And I just agree. I bet you I miss a statement where it says that I'm allowing this app to listen to me because, like I said, I'd, I'd mention some random thing and all of a sudden I get ads for that thing. Hmm. So I think that's a, a good way to describe AI in, in common experience, right? Yeah. Well, one of the things is the tremendous amount of information that is being processed. I mean, the 60s and 70s, we had machine language and then the 80s, we had deep learning. And the distinction between both is really the capacity to process a lot of information and the sorts of computers you need for deep learning, much more powerful than machine learning. And so the algorithmic process, the computational process gets a little more complex and layered. And so that's what causes all of these responses. Maybe this is a good time to distinguish between weak AI and strong AI. So there are two distinctions, basically. Weak AI is AI as a tool. So the Siri on your phone, smart cars, even the IBM computer Deep Blue that beat Casper in 1997, these are all examples of weak AI. And they're very, very powerful tools mm -hmm. just because of the amount of information that they can process and the output that is then given. But strong AI is now AGI, artificial general intelligence. And with AGI, you have talks about sentience and self-consciousness. These are not merely tools, but there is agential features that are attached to AI systems. That is not here yet. Okay. What would be an example of that if you can imagine what it would be like in the future? Well, at that point, it won't just be simulating. 
it'll be sort of replicating human behavior and human thoughts and human attitudes and human, human intentions. And once it gets to super intelligence, ASI, which is the final stage, which post-humanists really talk about, that's when it surpasses or supersedes human capacities and abilities. Mm. And so that is a post-human vision. We're not there yet, okay. obviously, because we've got to go through AGI. Right. So I think I was watching a scientist mention that perhaps in 100 years, yeah. that that's what they're thinking, that something like that would happen, right. just given how technology advances at this current rate. Yeah, but right. isn't, there, isn't there a primary assumption in that, that all intelligence is, is um, data collection and data um, sorting in pattern recognition, whereas uh, I, I think from a Christian view and, and, and certain philosophical views on philosophy of mind, there's agency and intentionality are something unique and and independent of that and immaterial it, it's immaterial well, it's yeah. immaterial it's soulish yeah. is what it is it's aspects of your soul and whether you're talking about Leibniz's giant windmill or john searle's man in a chinese room machines can't do that right. they, they 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 simply don't have agency intentionality yeah. things like that they can they can replicate those kinds of patterns because humans say yeah that's closer that's not as as close as what we would think yeah. uh, but 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 to to truly have a new intention so that that's that's unique yeah that's yeah. So, so i want to talk more about that lenny but let's say that for later uh but this is a good segue um uh, the title of our show is should christians be afraid of ai that's yeah. a question tonight that we're trying to understand. Now, in your talk, Finney, I like how you broke it down into three main points. Uh, the first one is appreciation. The second is apprehension. And the third is application. So in your talk, uh, help our listeners understand why we appreciate AI. I mean, I, I, I know I do. I, I like it when um, I'm able to just launch an app and it'll right. give me directions on the nearest right. uh, in and out uh, burger chain that's that's always a good thing right yeah yeah <laughs> i mean tools are meant to assist human beings right they're meant to better our lives they're meant to help in our human flourishing so in that sense ai as a tool has many positive things that can contribute so we don't want to overlook that yeah. so before we go to apprehension we really need to see some of the applications i mean the applications are tremendous in terms of business, in terms of entertainment, in terms of healthcare industry, in terms of uh, even, even ministry. ministry. Yeah, yeah, sure. You can utilize it for the propagation of the gospel. You can util utilize it for witnessing, for mission work, yes. sometimes in areas where it's hard to reach. AI tools can be utilized. Bill Gates recently spoke about some areas in Africa that are hard to reach. And the children in those areas can be taught by AI systems. It's amazing. And you can provide medical help, and you can provide medical advice without doctors being there, because some of these areas are just so hard to get to. And so you can obviously utilize it in ministry. And so the appreciative element needs to be kept intact, yes. because sometimes we hear the fear-based approach to AI, and we forget the appreciative part. because. We, as creations of God, are co-collaborators with Him mm. in our creative effort. Yeah. And everything we do on this earth is for human flourishing, and AI can be harnessed for that uh, human flourishing and for that vision 
to be made concrete. Right. Yeah. I appreciate that take. I mean, I had no doubt that this is an exciting time. Um, and we, we just have to remember um, h- how history always starts off with s- mm. something fearful because it's an unknown. And then before you know it, it's something that has become our ally. Time and time, we, we can't forget that. There's those kinds of cycles. So I don't know. My, my thinking is let's, let's, uh, let's be hopeful first, you know, right. uh, bef- before we be- become concerned. I mean, yeah. that's always a good approach. Be yeah. hopeful first. Be yeah. optimistic first. Right. Um, yeah, we are people of hope, and, uh, yep. you know, we see the bright side in everything. Yeah. Can you guys give me examples of how AI has helped, let's say, you guys' ministries? Well, it, it helps in terms of uh, calling ideas about, you know, not necessarily what I may think is really important to address, but what the general public out there has asked questions. So, for example, Google search criteria. Uh, Google's algorithm is very, very specific, and you can, uh, if you understand how to mine some of the words and things like that, you can understand what questions people are continuing to ask about Christianity, about either the existence of God or who Jesus is or any of those items. Those are, those are the things that, that are, because they're so popular, there obviously is a need to address them. And so you can look at those kinds of search criteria and say, okay, here's the most popular topics that people are actually asking. Uh, maybe we need to answer that and, and things like that. So that's, that's a ministry way. Or, you know, I, I also can imagine any physician say say you're an oncologist and you deal with cancers and you know if you're an oncologist especially maybe in southern california maybe you see a lot of skin cancers Uh, and so you can sometimes be biased in understanding cancer as a specific presentation since it's what you've seen over and over and an ai program could come and say hey here's other factors that you may miss cancers because it presents differently, but statistically speaking, those are also signs of cancer as well. So, so th- those are applications where you can see AI being very beneficial. Yeah, no, that's good, that's good. So if you're listening, we are live right now on KKLA uh, 99.5, and uh, if you wanna join our conversation, you, you might have a question about artificial intelligence, give us a call. The number is 888-995-5552, or uh, again, 888-995-KKLA. Give us a call. You might have uh, some good insights there. Um, Tell us your experience about AI, good and the bad. Uh, Should Christians be afraid of AI? Let's go to apprehension, uh, gentlemen. Um, So I think the appreciation is definitely valid. We use it all the time. Uh, we're unconscious uh, that it helps us. You know, I mean, we can just say hey, um, to our phones. I'm like, I almost said, "Hey," you know, and <laughs> our phones are going to go crazy. But um, you can tell our phones to wake us up at you know anytime we want. You know, yeah. or set a timer. We we just talk to it. It understands. When I'm driving and I want to text, I shouldn't be texting, right? But I can just talk to talk my to phone it. and yeah. say. Send text to 
you know, and whoever's in my contacts, um, it'll do that. That's so helpful. So like driving time becomes a productive time. You know, when you're stuck it, in traffic. It's funny, my phone, when they say, would you like to respond? And I say, no, it, it, it almost feels like it's an insult. <laughs> okay, then, fine. I'm like, right. wow, I, I, have, I, have I hurt your feelings by not continuing this conversation? Right, right. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, sometimes it just knows who to contact, even if it's not on your contact yeah. list. It just will search the internet, just like that. It's like your personal valet person. You know, I love it. Your personal concierge. It's, it's amazing. Um, so we'll, we'll, why should we be apprehensive? What, uh, what should we... I know back in the back of our minds, we're a little skeptical sometimes. You know, like I said, uh, we've lost a little bit of privacy. We've given it over to AI. And uh, is that good or bad? Or how should we think about these things? Yeah, I think one of the issues, even before we get to AI with technology is not that we have it, but there is an oversaturation of it, right? It, it just oversaturates our life, every dimension of it. And it's almost like you're drowning in it. And so we internalize it, and when AI comes along, we personalize it. And so that is really what happens from a psychological standpoint. And then in the news media, the conflation of agential talk, right, in terms of agency, we refer to AI systems as him or her, or she does it, or he does it, <laughs> or it does it. We give some sort of agent um, analysis to these AI systems, not understanding that these are purely computational and algorithmic. Yeah. It's pure syntax. You know, again, to invoke John Searle's Chinese room argument, yeah. uh, there is no meaning related to it. There is no consciousness. There's you no know, knowing. There's no right, knowing. Right? There is no knowing. There is no agency involved. And I always go back to 1997 when Deep Blue won against Kasparov, and he was absolutely distraught, and he said human beings have lost their dignity and value now that he had lost a Deep Blue. And a professor, I think he was from New York University, he wrote in the New Yorker or the Atlantic, I don't remember which one, but he asked this question just a few days later. And the question was this, now that Deep Blue has won, is it gonna take Deep Pink on a date to celebrate its victory? <laughs> and the answer was absolutely not, because Deep Blue did not know that it won. Deep Blue was not conscious that it was playing the game. It was purely a syntactic move. In fact, it's actually absolutely fascinating. Back then, 1997, 26 years ago, Deep Blue could calculate 200 million moves in a minute, mm. and 50 billion possibilities in the three minutes that is given to each chess player. I mean, the voluminous way in which it uh, does its, you know, its actions and how it brings together all the data and how it computes is absolutely fascinating. We should be, you know, thankful for that and utilize it for good means. But at the same time, all of this does not translate into agency. Yes. Yeah. Because the difference is not a difference in degree. It's a difference in kind. That's so in principle, AGI from a Christian standpoint, and we'll probably get into that a little bit more later on, but let me just give you a teaser, yeah. is not possible. Mm -hmm. Consciousness agency in principle is not possible. It's not a matter of computational complexity. It's a matter of principled impossibility. Right. That's like the nth degree, uh, if there is such a thing as nth degree impossibility. So <laughs> it's just right. not going to happen. Yeah. Right. Although we, we need to mention that uh, depending on your worldview, and, right. and there are Christians who subscribe to a right. physicalist uh, idea of the mind. Right. 
right. and obviously that um, in, in their thinking that it, it'll evolve into that. Right. But that 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 might be the uh, yeah. um, you know the ultimate goal of physicalism. Yeah. I guess. And I think Finney brings up a, another caution by that point because we we um, abandon our ourselves to our technology and because we now personalize it it's easy for most people to assume that artificial intelligence is thinking in the way that we think and that's very dangerous because now what you're doing is you're you're giving up your understanding of um morality moral choices moral ethical frameworks right and, and we we've seen this already in the way certain algorithms screen out certain posts on social media for example where it it simply won't allow you or or if you ask chat gpt to write uh you know write a uh, three paragraph summary um talking about the horrors of transgenderism it simply won't do that and, and you experience that, yeah. Right? So personally, so you, you, you it, asked, it will, okay. it will, it will, it will shut you. It will say, "I'm sorry, we, you know, that's hate speech, and we can't." You Interesting. Know, yeah. Well, just like you can't say, you know, write a pro-Nazi. Uh, you know, it won't do that either. So there's biases there. Now that's an extreme position that I'm talking about, but there are subtler versions of that as well that people may not realize that the computer's intentionally skipping over and thinking that the the information that they're getting is as accurate as any other person might. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. All right, so I know we're coming up on a station break pretty soon, but uh, I want to give out the numbers just so you can be prepared to dial that number and join our conversation. That number is 888-995-KKLA. Again, 888-995-5552. And uh, we will be right back after a few messages. The mission of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com. Scott Furrow here. Don't miss out on KKLA's half-price tuition program. Visit kkla.com to see the list of Christian schools that are still available. Attending a private school puts your child on the road to success. They go off to do great things. They're lawyers, you know, military officers and such. We have a young man. He just loves the education that he received, and he is a certified financial planner. We have a student who was excelling, and he is graduating from Azusa Pacific. One of their preschool children asked her parents to 
pray for the food. And the parents <laughs> said, well, we don't pray, so why don't you pray? So the child opened up in prayer for their food. There was a graduate, successful, started her own law practice. One was reserved, struggling. This year, he has blossomed. He's a leader. He's taking other students around and being their mentor. He's going to take that to high school and do great wherever he goes. Visit KKLA.com for a list of half-price tuition schools still available. Reserve your child's place now. KKLA.com. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open My Eyes. I'm Lori Wilburn. John chapter 5 tells a story of a man who was ill for 38 years. He was waiting by a pool for a miracle. When Jesus laid eyes on him, he asked the man, Do you wish to get well? Jesus already knew that he had been in that condition for a long time. Was Jesus trying to get this man's attention on something beyond just a physical need? Friends, this man was looking to a pool of water for hope. God oftentimes is waiting for us to get our eyes off that something or someone that we think will make us whole. When Jesus can get our attention and He becomes our one Savior and Redeemer, He says to us, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. To learn more, visit my blog at corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Well, welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening, and we have been talking about artificial intelligence. Should Christians be afraid of artificial intelligence? All right. Okay, the music finally went down. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, should Christians be afraid of artificial intelligence? And we started off by saying there are really good things about artificial intelligence. We live with it. We have our phones. We have smartphones. Um, But also we need to realize that there are some limits to that because we are fallen uh, and we tend to make good things bad and... uh, like you were saying, uh, under the heading of apprehension, there's an oversaturation of that. And uh, sometimes it's hard for us to distinguish between reality and artificial. And that's not a good thing. That's a very, very bad thing. Um, I often see a lot of parents just have the iPads uh, in front of their kids as babysitters, as surrogate yeah. moms and dads. and. Who knows what technology is teaching their kids? I don't know. You know, Th- those are hard things. Um, when we have an over reliance on technology, in f- in fact, uh, research has shown, and I'm I'm glad some people are pointing this out that um, it's not even just the messages that you get that are formative, but just the habits that you have, the uh, unconscious habits of, let's say, reaching for your phone. And why are you reaching for your phone? Well, because it's just there, you know? And uh, it's like we can't be away from our phones. And we have this anxiety if somehow, or there's this, right? It's a new thing, the, the fear of missing out. Uh, and so oh, well. you, you need to know if someone is texting you right at this moment or, 
whatever, you know? It's just weird. So that's what technology does. Um, so those are the kinds of things we need to be apprehensive about. Um, yeah. every, every technological tool comes with a lifestyle. And it brings about some fundamental changes. And that's how innocent conveniences become indispensable necessities. That's how it begins. And then as the lifestyle transforms and is reoriented around the technological tool, then you begin to feel you cannot live without it. Right. And it happens gradually. Right, right. Yeah. And, and it changes your, actually, uh, physiologically as well. Mm -hmm. you, you, you strengthen certain uh, brain circuits, brain patterns, mm -hmm. neural connections uh, on screen that you don't normally develop. So, for example, a long periods of deep thinking become mm -hmm. much more difficult mm -hmm. because yes. you're not exercising those ideas. In the same way that memory has uh, taken a back seat because we can draw things, right? Nobody remembers phone numbers anymore right. uh, because it's all always on your phone and you just, you just look for the name. But, but you know, we marvel that in, in ancient world that people would be able to recite the Iliad or, or the Odyssey or, because they exercise that aspect of who they are. Now reading is actually fading. Yeah. Uh, and, and so part of, part of the problem is it, it physically changes you right and and it becomes like almost like a drug where it where it, yeah. you you satiate yourself by getting the phone or getting the the instant messages yeah it's almost like it's normal now mm. that you have to provide options in terms of let's say if you are a professor let's say yeah you almost this this whole the idea of accommodation is almost a given. Mm. So if you assign text, you almost have to know that the text has an audio version. Right. You, you know, I mean, uh, what, what's next? Whatever. Uh, so it's never enough, right? Yeah. And, and because we relegate a lot of what used to be normal back then now to AI. So if right. AI can do this for me, let's do it. You know, yeah. that's the route we take. Um, we actually have a caller online, so I'm going to bring him on. Let me see if I can do this. Milton from Pasadena, welcome to the show. You have a question or comment? Uh, yes. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, it's been wonderful listening to you all. Uh, Thanks. AI. And uh, from the worldly perspective, uh, more than the biblical perspective, I believe if we would more incorporate... Uh, the biblical perspective, uh, a wisdom from above and wisdom from below, and also understand that the demonic realm, uh, led by Lucifer and the fallen angelic realm, how much Lucifer can delegate his uh, uh, powers of influencing the power of the air, and uh, he, he, he was created with tremendous intelligence and limited miraculous power capabilities. Now, how much that plays into how AI will be used in a positive way also has to be factored in from the biblical perspective. At the time we're living in now, I believe uh, close to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, we're getting closer to uh, the in-stage in prophecies uh, being fulfilled, 
And over the last three years, we've observed a lot of, of changes that seem to indicate that. Yeah. Hey, hey uh, Milton, do you have a question in there, or are you saying we should just be really super careful because AI could be used by the devil? Well, it, it can and is being used by the demonic realm to, uh, to uh, entrap uh, individual Christians, churches, uh, and uh, that uh, should be a concern of, uh, of the Christians at this stage in the outworking of his story, God's redemptive purposes, and how close we are to supernatural intervention and a positive future for this planet, because the demonic realm is allowed to set up a global control system, 666 Mark of the Beast system. By the way, you know, language itself... Hey, hey Milton, I'm sorry, but we, we need to go, get to the next caller, but thanks okay. for your call. I appreciate it, brother. And yeah, uh, we need to be always careful about demonic influences in, in everything we do. Uh, so thanks for your call, Milton. Yeah, first Corinthians. Okay, um... So, yes, for sure, we need to always be careful, but that's in anything that we do. Uh, yeah. That's... Yeah. So, again, if you are wanting to join our discussion, uh, give us a call, 888-995-5552. I see Lamech on the line on hold there, so um, give us a few seconds and we'll get to your call. But... Uh, and another thing we talked about social media, how that's driven by sophisticated AI technology. Yeah. It's just getting better and better in some sense uh, in, in terms of the technology. Right, but, but we need to be careful because well, look at look at the problem with mm -hmm. transgenderism. Uh, most individuals who talk about go, starting their journey, and this comes from a lot of young girls who are now detransitioning. It's because YouTube, they, they, what does it mean to be transgender? And YouTube would feed them videos that are only showing the positive side of this and only showing uh, affirmations to make that and, and giving them, again, one side of the story. And it starts, to, starts them on a road to total affirmation. And because there's a bias within the organization itself, within Meta and within uh, uh, Google and all of these different um, places, that you you don't get to hear an opposing viewpoint. You don't get to hear maybe there's, you know, hey, something can, those are literally deranked. Yeah. And so it, it can lead to physical harm. It's funny that <clears throat> our young people live at once in a society where the most they're the, they're the most technologically sophisticated generation. They understand what it means to edit videos. They understand what it looks like outside the frame. Yet when they watch the videos, they seem to forget all that and use that as an artificial standard of acceptance that will never possibly be able to be met. Yeah. yeah. You know what's interesting? I was going to say this formative power of technology, we mm. have to be careful yeah. where yeah. now we have exchanged uh, the artificial for the natural. Right. You know, like we like that better. So yeah. here's a good example. It's kind of interesting. When you go to a concert, 
Mm. What do you see? People holding up their phones, right? And mm. they're watching instead of a lighter. In, in, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> not not only that. No, I'm talking about instead of oh, enjoying the live, the live show. Yeah. Oh, they're watching the video. They're oh. watching the video on their phone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they want to capture it, but they're missing out on the yeah. real on yeah. on life. Yeah. It's, absolutely. See, artificial intelligence creates artificial world. We live in a mediated world, but with artificial intelligence, with technology and the oversaturation of it, the mediation levels increase. And so the blurring between reality and fantasy happens right there. Mm. Because there are so many mediated levels that people don't know where they land. And they land wherever their preference might be. And so it becomes very complicated, becomes very complex. And so we have a lot of confusion going on, right? There are multiple layers. And as you sort through those layers, where do you put your foot down? Where is the grounding? Where is the foundation? So it becomes a very difficult thing. And you said something about formation. That is something as Christians we need to be concerned about. Every single day, every single moment, from your waking moment to the time you go to sleep, you're being bombarded by so much from different platforms, different dimensions, explicitly, implicitly, consciously, subconsciously, all these things are not mere information. They are formation. They're formative there is things, formation yes. happening constantly. Right. And so the question is, if the world is involved in such a formative uh, project, what is the church doing? That's right. Are we forming people? Are we discipling people? Is that happening within the church? Are we providing the countercultural perspective? Because the world is doing it. Are we doing it as well? That's a good one, Finney. Uh, I'm going to bring up our next caller, Lamech from L.A. Lamech, welcome to the show. Uh, do you have a question or comment about AI? Yeah, here's a, a comment. Uh, because according to according to the uh, uh, according to the Christian 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 people, uh, in some book about the New Testament says uh, all the Christians have to. To to have the mind of Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And artificial artificial uh, intelligence, two 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 kind of words. I, I I don't have no school, but you know I'm trying to to explain my knowledge. So two words: uh, artificial and intelligence, right? So intelligence means I mean these two words: artificial and intelligence. Uh, for me, for me, but I, I I understand for for many people it's not it's not real. But for me, artificial these kind of artificial uh, intelligence uh, are fake for me. Why? Because I am intelligent, and I I have to be more intelligent than the, than this artificial intelligence. You know, because artificial is is something. Uh, uh, the men are created to catch all the weakness minds in this in this in this world. You know, it's a, it's too many, too many weak minds, and that's why all of these uh, all of these group of people are working in this kind of issues to just to just to just to destroy destroy them and and to to get the benefits. The benefits uh, for all of these weakness, weakness uh, people uh, who who are, uh, I mean, paying attention 
to all of these kind of kind of movement of artificial intelligence. I'm using my phone uh, and I have a free perform and just uh, my intelligence have to help me to use the phone just uh, just my intelligence says just for this, not for that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. If, my hey. if my intelligence says says to me on oh, my mind and because I'm I'm a Christian, it's telling me don't use this. I got it. I have to 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 reject. I have to yeah. reject. Hey, Lemek, you know? Lemek, um, could, could we uh, could we interject a little bit? Um, yeah, no. Uh, actually, I think your concern is a good one. Your name is Lemek. Le is Le that what it is? Lemek. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing you said is there is something unique about human beings that cannot be reduced to the machine world, right? It's not purely syntactic. There is semantic content, intentionality, meaning, and so you are speaking forcefully to the fact that there is something unique that cannot be reduced to uh, machine level. So I agree with you. There is something very unique about human beings because what machines do is purely syntactic and it has no semantic content of meaning or intentionality. So we're in total agreement there. And then the second thing is that machines or human beings will never be able to exceed the capacity, the creative capacity of our creator. Yeah. So the uniqueness comes from the fact that we bear the image of God and we don't have the agential capacity to create or transfer that image of God to machines. And as long as we don't have that capacity, which we'll never have, we cannot make machines into persons. Because personhood is defined, at least from a Christian standpoint and worldview, as having the image of God. And then the third thing, very quickly, talking to the uniqueness of human persons as conscious agents, is the fact that for a machine to have AGI, artificial general intelligence, there has to be a process that is parallel to the computational and the algorithmic process, but is not identical with it. So that is a self-conscious part that human beings have. For instance, I'm not identical to my physical parts or to my physical experiences. I think it was Dr. Merito Guta, who was also at the conference last week. He spoke about how I use my leg to do the walking. My leg does not do the walking. I do the walking utilizing my leg as a tool. I do the thinking utilizing the brain as a tool. The brain does not do the thinking. The eye that transcends the physical component, the physical constitution of my body, my physical body, does the thinking. So there is this transcendent part that is not reducible to the physical components. And as long as you cannot identify that transcendent part in a machine, in an AI system, in an AI program, AI will never become yeah. conscious or sentient. And so your comment is absolutely right on yeah thanks lamech uh and keep listening you're right when he was talking uh, i know in so many words he was trying to say how there's no way artificial intelligence is going to supersede our intelligence yeah. and he's right on that right. he's totally right i like how he said he's not educated but even someone like him uh, yeah. has that intuition uh, but you know, let's. let's it it yeah. is. It's the way that you understand the word intelligence. I think mm -hmm. that he's making the and and so it, it, what I always say is that you know if you understand what it takes in order to create these models and how mm -hmm. many times human beings have to correct the the systems and the machines and just how many samples are required in order for a machine to even begin to amass such a thing, you'll find that artificial intelligence isn't. All right. Mm. The, the other thing, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the 
main things to differentiate it to differentiate us from the animals would be let's say an animal can know all right let's grant that like a dog knows the bone is over there yeah you know but i think with human beings uh, created in god's image we know about our knowing right mm-hmm. so again maybe yes. for the dog it's instinct we call it no maybe that's being generous but for the human being created in god's image uh, there's self introspection yeah, right. we we can inspect our own thoughts yeah. you know yeah, a dog can never think about what would it mean to be a cat right for right. example right see uh, the, it's not just a progression of physical states right there is a subjective state yeah of what it feels like to be in that state that is what machines don't have and they'll that's, never have right, right they'll but never let, have. let's talk about the controversial thing now with um, probably an ongoing debate between physicalists and non-physicalists so on a physicalist worldview and there are some christians in right. that camp yeah. right they actually think that uh, the mind is just a series of brain states right. which which maybe uh, it, it uh, a self emerges from physical things right so right. we're of the camp I, I believe all three of us believe that that chasm is never going to be bridged so like right. the eye that knows is my soul which right. there's nothing physical about it uh what what g- give us a little bit of a, uh, an overview of that debate what 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 is really the issue there yeah so Reducing the mind to physical states, generally it's called epiphenomenalism. And so any kind of mental states, mental causation, all of these are reduced to ultimately physical components. It supervenes, that's a technical word, on the physical. And so, you know, they kind of explain away the mind in a certain sense. See, all of this ultimately comes down to worldview questions. It can never be resolved by looking at function, but by looking at foundation. So what is your foundational perspective? What is your life posture? What are the components that form the foundation from which all these theories emerge? And based on that foundation, you will endorse one or the other. Mm. I mean, there is substance dualism, there is non-reductive physicalism, and the list goes on and on in the philosophy of mind. And the choice between those those views is not just those views, it's the worldview that navigates the choice. Now, to to be charitable a little bit, of our physicalist friends, Mm -hmm. is it because, and we have to be honest here, it's so hard to distinguish when the brain is doing its brain thing and when the mind is doing its mind thing, because it's, uh, you you can't be, well, no, I can't talk that way, but it's very difficult to imagine a person without a brain and still be alive yeah and And the interaction problem is is an issue as well but how how does the mind directly intervene if it's physical but one of the interesting caveats to all of this is any usually any physical event can be described through physical means so I can say I am in this location, uh, taking up this much space with this many inches tall and things like that. But you can't say my intent to raise my hand is actually resting three inches from my left ear. Or, or, so, so, so when you talk about, you know, qualia redness, for example, you can talk about waves of light, 
but but the perception of redless, I don't need photons to close my eyes and imagine the color red. You know, that you can't describe using physical descriptors. But every physical state, I think you can use a physical, you could talk about neural pathways firing and things like that. That doesn't mean that you're actually thinking. Even if you send uh, those electrical signals through a corpse, does that, that won't mean that the, the brain is thinking again. It right. just, yeah. And it's the very reason why a lot of brain surgeries require the patient to be awake. That's right. Because right. they have to find out. They have exactly. to ask them. You, to the ask. only way yeah. that people, the doctors can, doctors can know if you're dreaming. The only way they can know the content is to ask the, the dreamer. Right, right, right. So but, but the worldview question still comes in because if you have a reductionistic perspective, then you look at mental content. I mean, you won't deny the mental content. You'll just re-describe it yeah. as something that depends on the physical. So there is always a redescription and a reorientation of all the basic categories that we talk about dependent on fundamental uh, presuppositions and convictions. And so a, a dualist might talk about mental content and physical states, but a epiphenomenalist or a physicalist or a materialist might say, yeah, there might be mental content, but let me re-describe it as something that depends mm. on physical states. So it's not something that's independent of it. That's it's true. just a higher state. That's a good point. Or something along those lines. So the worldview part always seems to emerge. So you're a substance dualist, Finney, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you would defend that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, how did we get to that? I know we'd get to that, but uh, in, in like the few short minutes that we have, let's get to application. What, how do we do this as Christian thinkers, as, as believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus? What, what's, what's in it for us? What, how do we move forward from here? Yeah, I mean, in terms of utilizing technology, you know, we've got to do it with boundaries, right? Yeah. Creation provides us the possibility of flourishing, but flourishing within boundaries. And so that's always to be kept in view. And so when we look at something like AI technology, we've got to understand that process improvement and efficiency is not necessarily the goal of human life. Some of the most important things in life from birth to death require an extended process. Right. And so if you cut short that process, you take away something that is human in you. And so we have to be very careful in utilizing technology. We have to utilize it, but utilize it with the boundaries in place. I think it was Chesterton who once said, when you take away a fence, you've got to ask why it was put there in the first place. And so that's a good caution to keep in mind. And secondly, in terms of ministry, we have to utilize these tools for ministry, but also remember that incarnational ministry requires the presence of the person. The Word became flesh, and we are called to be the Word enfleshed. We're an extension of who Christ is. That is very yeah, good. Yeah, I, I would definitely echo that, that, uh, you know, any individual that um, secedes his uh, relationships to only those things that happen online and never actually reaches mm -hmm. out and touches another person is a stunted individual. And we can easily do that with our thinking, just, you know, typing in and looking for results for any one of a number of controversial topics that we may need to address, uh, because the algorithm is going to feed you the things that, A, you would be most likely to click on. That's, it's, it's not whether the truth value of the item is, is higher or lower. It's will you respond. That's the response they're looking for. And B, uh, usually something that's more provocative 
so that you're staying longer and seeing the ads more and things like that. So we have to realize that that other ways need to be approached and we need to think about how we step away from those tools as much as how we use them. The other thing I was going to say, because you were mentioning, Finney, how a lot of these things take a process. That's how we were created. It freezes up to be who we really are in Christ, you know, and that we're not uh, bombarded with all of these things, the whole fear of missing out things. No, Mm -hmm. you can relax. You don't need those things. All right, well, you've been listening to Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Our hope is that you've learned some aspect about the Christian worldview that strengthens your faith and make you want to learn more. Special thanks to my panel, Lenny and Finney, and to uh, our intrepid tech guys back there that make us sound really good. Uh, So, And to our listeners, thank you. Until next time, good night.